Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the give option. Okay, uh, let's get into God's word. You can open up to Acts chapter 17. Sermon series is uh, the way, and this is the right way to live versus the wrong way to live. The right way to live in Acts is to follow the way of Jesus Christ. Uh, in Isaiah, it is, I will make a way in the wilderness. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And then in the book of Acts, they are called the people of the way. They are following the way of Jesus Christ. So I invited you to do things the right way, not the wrong way. And we've used stories in Acts to project how the right way of living works. Uh, today I'm going to give you one more. We're going in the direction now of where this is something that makes your faith public. You're going to share your faith if it's truly faith that you abide by. It's not faith until it's tested, right? Like you can make a boat, but until you put it in the water and see it float, it's not really trustworthy, right? If you decide that you're going to get into a plane that's never left the ground, you only know that it's capable to be a plane until it's in the sky, right? So your faith isn't really faith until it's tested, okay? The way you test your faith is you have to position it in a conversation with people often who don't have faith, right? It can't be birds of a feather flock together. So some of you even here this morning, I always hope the invitation is to non-believers, what I call pre-believers, rather than just to believers. That if the church is only full of believers, then we're not doing a really good job of outreach, of inviting people to say, hey, why don't you come in and listen? So that makes this space sort of mixed company. Acts 17 is the story of Paul at what is known as Mars Hill. Mars Hill is in Athens. It was a place where all the different minds came to discuss ideologies and philosophies. Athens is the, the birthplace of Plato, for example. Now, if you followed Platism, then you would know that Plato believed in the ideal, the logos, versus the material world. The difference was that Plato believed that we only see the shadows of what things are meant to be, but eventually, if we are enlightened, we will see what it's supposed to be like. And so his pursuit of enlightenment was in contrast. As Christians go, some Christians are the hellfire and brimstone Christians, right? If you're a Christian or you were raised in the church that believed like Platoism, even though we say we're Christians, sometimes Christians do this. World is miserable. Everybody's a sinner. The only way it's going to get better is when we die and go to heaven. Now that, that's in contrast to God who Logos became flesh and dwelt among us and said, you're sinners but you're also supposed to be saints. And there's a redemption of God's creation, not just a setting apart, let me get you out of that corrupt world, but let me reshape the world. Let's solve the corruption where you are. So in our theology, we understand that the material world was created by God. What, what God says, what Jesus says to Paul or to Peter in Acts 10 to Cornelius, don't tell me what's unclean. What I create, what I deem to be clean, is clean. So in Athens, that was one thought. They also had the Epicureans. The Epicureans believed a little bit different. They wanted to counter Plato, and they said, hey, let's just live and let live. What is the purpose of life? It is for pleasure. It's to enjoy. 
Epicureanism is a little bit like hedonism today. How many of you know people that live that way? Ah! Today you live, tomorrow you die. Live it up today! Right? You're way in debt. I don't care. I got a four-wheeler side-by-side and a boat, and I'm living it up. What happens when you retire? I'm not living for retirement. I'm living for today. Epicureans uh, struggled with the idea of an afterlife because they figured that we have this one life to live, so you might as well make the most of it. There are also Stoics. Anybody have that person that's kind of like the engineer brain? They can't get a joke if you tell it to them. Stoics, Stoics believed that purpose of reason was to see the material world not as good or bad, but as useful. Uh, Christians that are kind of in this line, this mindset, I don't know, they flirt with whether they're Christian or not. I listen to Glenn Lowry's podcast. He's an MIT economist. Uh, I'm a bit geeky in that whole, you know, will $30 trillion ruin our children's future kind of question. Um, and Glenn Lowry speaks about it. Now, the challenge is, is that he had Cornell West on his podcast. Here's what really kind of cooked my noodle. Cornell West doesn't agree with the things that I agree with about policy, okay? So he has a way that he wants to approach policy in our world today that's different than what Glenn Lowry believes. And I lean more with Glenn Lowry on those political issues. But Cornell West is a devout Christian, and I mean, he can preach. And it's so fun to listen to Cornell West. So here's what my mind is doing in their conversation. Cornell West is speaking from politics that I don't agree with, which Glenn Lowry was pushing back. And then Cornell West asks him about his faith. And Glenn Lowry says, well, I don't really believe that Jesus Christ is a miracle of the resurrection. I believe in the moral practices of Christianity. And Cornell West speak, spoke right into his life, started un, un, uh, unearthing these issues in Glenn Lowry's past, what he had an issue with in the church, that it wasn't really so much scientific as it was personal. And this great, and I'm like, I don't know who to side with. I really want him to love Jesus, but I want him to come to terms with this economic strategy. I don't know who to try. That podcast was Athens. It is the marketplace of ideas. It's where these, these rivers of different philosophies came in and they, they converged to discuss. Paul, in Acts 17, is on his second missionary journey, and he goes to the Mars Hill to discuss who Jesus is, to present this. Now, if you read in Acts chapter 17, we're going to use just the one simple verse. I encourage you to read the rest of it. But going into it, and he says, I see among you, you have a, an idol to the unknown God. You know, I want to invite you into a real challenge of faith. If you love Jesus, you have to share Jesus. If you love Jesus, you have to share Jesus. If you love Jesus, you have to share Jesus. Because when you share Jesus, you will love Jesus more. We come into this shared space. So here's a couple of things I want you to take away from this morning. When Paul sees the statue of the unknown God, he uses it as a shared story. He's in the marketplace of ideas. They're going to have a discussion. He wants to present with them who Jesus is. But he doesn't want to condemn them. He wants to collaborate with them. By the way, how many of you have some of those shared spaces? It used to be the dinner table. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my mom and my dad, they created the place where we could discuss and argue. And when we grew up as teenagers, my brother, my sister, myself, 
we actually, the five of us, even if we agreed on something, we could disagree enough that it would get to the place somebody was yelling and shouting, getting up and leaving the table. Anybody else have family dinners like that? Right? In fact, when my wife and I were, were dating, engaged, and getting married, like at one point she goes, is it always like this? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Thanksgiving, we watch football, we yell about the Cowboys losing, we go eat dinner, we yell about top politics, somebody gets up and leaves, says they're not coming back, five minutes later they come back in, and we just keep eating, right? And the one thing that's true about that is you argue all you want, but you're not leaving your Thanksgiving dinner. Like, you're going to eat. Maybe you have other marketplaces shared experiences how many of you have soccer friends and then when soccer's over you don't really see those people anymore until like mustang basketball starts and then you have basketball friends and then when mustang basketball's over you have baseball friends anybody have those circle of friends anybody have bingo friends you go play bingo and you like know each other and how many workplace friends you got workplace you're like we hang out at work but i don't really see you after work when i'm at work we share stories a lot of fun right anybody have campfire friends camping friends like, oh, I love going camp with you guys, sit around the campfire. Those are places where we're talking about in Athens. Athens is this place where all these different ideas, right and wrong, come to converge into a discussion we should be having with one another. When I was growing up, that was true of the Thanksgiving dinner. Anybody have the car ride friends? Ever get in the car with somebody? Now, in my family, a couple of people, they don't really drive and talk. They're just out. But sometimes the car ride's a great conversation, isn't it? Uh, my parents had health issues. Um, 2000 and I'm going to say October 2017, uh, my dad wanted to go take my mom to see her sister in, um, over on the East Coast. While going, he had some heart issues. He was put in the hospital. Mom with a trailer and the car and um, the start of her dementia. So uh, I get a phone call. I actually got a phone call from a chaplain who, who got my number from my mom and said, I think they're going to need help getting back. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, how do you go out? We've got to take a car. We need two drivers. Dad can't drive. I call my Aunt Diane, and she says, yep. So about 6 o'clock at night, that night, I drove, picked up my Aunt Diane, and we drove through the night to go get my parents in Pennsylvania. I love my Aunt Diane. We talked everything through the middle of the night. Now, there's moments where you're like, oh, that's so, and, oh, what a tragic, and you gotta, and you got to work out the schedule, and you got I look back on that situation with fondness, right, going to help my parents and having, I love those times when you're in a car with somebody, and maybe you don't know each other really well, but you do when, especially young people hear me, you take the earbuds out, and you talk. And we, we don't like that because that means I might be talking to somebody who disagrees with me. But Paul, in Acts, says, I see you are religious people. We always have something to share with others. So the first thing I want to invite you to is consider the shared story with other people before you do anything else. Before you want to argue, before you want to disagree, consider the shared story. And you say, I don't know what we share. Just real simply, everybody breathe. Hey, we're living human beings. We have that in common. Isn't it amazing? I told Jeff this morning, I told you a few weeks ago, that Jeff is a Green Bay Packers fan. <laughs> he was at the 830 service, right? And I'm like mocking him going, Packers, yeah, you don't even have a quarterback. Yeah, your prima donna quarterback is going to up and leave. You know? Oh, well, the Cowboys, they haven't won it forever. Blah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, they're better than Bears fans. Oh. We all hate each other. And then he stopped. What's the share? What do we all have in common? We love football. 
fact, I've even talked to people who don't like football. I have to figure out, okay, what do we have in common? What do we like? I like baseball. All right, let's start baseball. I can talk baseball. The White Sox rock. <laughs> this is their year. All right. The one that gets me is they're like, let's talk soccer. I'm out. I got nothing on soccer. I try to keep up. When you walk into that workspace, what do you share in common? Oh, they disagree with me politically. I don't know if I can talk to them. Do you both have kids? Yeah, talk about that. Right? I've been in family conversations. We're meeting with strangers. They're like, oh, you're lactose intolerant? I'm lactose intolerant. I have to have a pill. You have to have a pill. I have to have a pill if I want to eat ice cream. Yeah, I have to have a pill. I'm like, what is lactose intolerant people unite? You know the vegans do. There's always the loudest people at a restaurant. I'm vegan. I'm vegan. Did you know I'm vegan? I don't care if you're vegan. I'm going to eat my eggs and my steak, and I'm going to enjoy it. Where do you meet people that when you think how different you are, because follow me, if you really go down that road of they're so different I can't relate to them, you've dehumanized them. That isn't what God wants. God doesn't want us to be so, so self-righteous that we can't interact with people in the marketplace of ideas. You go, oh my gosh, what's this world coming to? It's coming to a place that needs correction, but course correction is not condemning, right? John three sixteen for the Son of Man, right, came into the world to what? To save it, not to condemn it, John 3, 6, 17. And he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth shall not perish but have everlasting life. For he came into the world to save the world, not condemn it. Everybody around you has a story. We want a shared story to then introduce our story. Now, Paul goes on. He says, I see that you have this unknown God. Let me tell you who this God is. He starts with general revelation, and then he introduces a special revelation. This is really important. A general revelation says, God created the whole universe, and in that universe, he created humanity, and we're a special and unique creation, and then a special revelation of Jesus Christ is the miracle of the resurrection in your heart that you might be saved. Now, here's the thing that's important about Paul's argument. See how he roped him in? He said, general revelation, we're all part of God's creation. He wasn't setting himself apart and saying, you're bad, me good. He's saying we're all good in some capacity. You just haven't had the special revelation of Jesus Christ, but you're all, he even, he even quotes the, their own poets. He says, you, your own poets say we're the offspring. What are the offspring of? He challenges them on idols. He says, but you shouldn't have these idol worships. And most people go, yeah, you shouldn't worship an idol. You all understand why it was important to God that we didn't create idols. I'm going to take you back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says he created the male and female imago Dei in his image. Do you know what the Greek word for idol is? Ikos. It's image. Do you know at its root what it really means for you and I? Image bearers. The reason God doesn't want us to create images of God is because his unique creation, humanity, is made in the image of God. We're the image bearers. We're actually mocking ourselves. We're removing what God intended of us to be image bearers when we make an idol and elevate it above us. As God says, nothing that is human made is above what is God's special creation, you and I. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to be the special intimate presence of God in the earth that he created. Paul says, you're image bearers. You're the offspring. And you know who, who corrects where our brokenness as offspring comes from? And he tells them about Jesus. 
So your shared story has to come into this Jesus story. Now, how do you tell people about that? It's one way. You share your story. Listen, church, the reason we have a hard time discussing our faith with other people is that we may not have much faith at all. Sharing our faith is sharing your story. Come into a, a, a luncheon with other people, and there's a place in a moment where somebody's vulnerable enough. You're in that shared space, and you're talking about family. Oh, you got kids? I got kids. And then the, the one man says, yeah, I may not have my kids much longer. What do you mean? Uh, my wife's leaving me. Whoa. In that vulnerable moment, they want to hear about a story. They want to hear about a Savior. What Paul offered the Athenians is he says, look, this unknown God is a God I can tell you about. I see that we're all religious, we share this story, but let me tell you what's unique to my story. This Jesus caught me on the road to Damascus and said, stop persecuting me and start serving me. And ever since I've been doing that, I have been persecuted, I've been stoned, I've been judged, I've been mocked, but he has never failed me yet. Church say that. He has never failed me yet. He has never failed me yet. When people are vulnerable, they want to hear a story of hope. That's why I shared with you in, in Acts chapter 3, it's not a story of help. Everybody just wants the government to help. It's a story of hope. And we do that together collectively. And it's because your story, if Jesus is really your Lord and Savior, matters to the other person. They need that story to be contemporary, to be real. Now, it may be as simple as you ought to come to church with me sometime. Or let me just tell you about how this small group has been impacting my life or some friends around the campfire have been speaking into my life. Whatever it is, it has to be your story. I even got an email this week about some songs and the question about whether the songs are right, theologically or otherwise not right. And I'll tell you, we don't have enough church songs because the church song should sing the story of the church as the messenger of the message. People really struggle with this. We sort of do an end around. We're like, God, you take care of this. We'll be the audience of faith. I have a faith, but it's between you and me. So other people who are lost, make sure you connect with them with all your sort of miracle stuff you do. That's not the way the Bible works. What did the Bible say? In the Gospels, Jesus says, I will breathe on you that you will go and be my messengers. You'll do likewise. So while the message is God and God alone, the messenger is the church. And if you think you can remove your responsibility from that messenger role, you're not reading the same gospel. God said, believers, share your story. A lot of people today, they can read about somebody 2,000 years ago, but until they know he is alive and well and living in his people, they won't get it. So Paul shared about who that unknown God was, this Jesus, this Jesus that he met, the Jesus that changed his life. And from that story, it becomes something that they can make their story. Now, they don't always do it right away. Any of you have ever had an argument with somebody that you discussed something with and they got shocked and upset and they leave the table and you pushed it too far? They have to have some time to think about it. They have to have some time to come around to your idea. And usually, there's this ebb and flow. I've talked to some Christians on very basic issues. I share with you our position on baptism, or whether you've got to go through all the, jump through all these hoops in order to be baptized. And then I 
had this conversation in the council of our deacons. We said, hey, let's do both. Let's give them the opportunity to share their story, but let's not handcuff the process so much that we're making it about works, not grace. We've come around on those issues. Having those discussions may invite a change in perspective. But it's as simple as always coming back to John 8, 32. Jesus is the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Where do we sit in those shared experiences to have those conversations? Where's your campfire moment? Where's your lunchroom at the place of work? Where's the interaction with family and extended family in the dinner table? If your children are growing up, you probably need more of those. You need more shared space for them to ask and discuss and challenge. And they're not going to always get it right away. Let them learn it and own it and make it their own. We were in Parsons, Kansas and new in ministry. Some people came to the church had a pretty rough way of life to get where they were, but they were married, had a couple of boys. In VBS, one of the boys ran away, in fact. He was four at the time, and uh, he was my responsibility, and I looked around, and he was gone. <laughs> so I asked the mom, and she's like, ah, he does that. <laughs> like, There's highways. It's, yeah. Maybe he does that. I'm surprised he's alive, but we got to find him. Came over to our house a few times, had dinner. I got to be really good friends, even though he didn't quite understand the gospel. They were coming to church. <laughs> he cussed a lot. <laughs> the way they talked about things, just sometimes was like, oh, that doesn't work for me. After a while, I, I enjoyed their baptisms. They're coming to terms with who Jesus is. They're wanting to pray together as a family, volunteering, becoming volunteers in our youth group. It didn't happen overnight. It happened with constant conversations and an openness to discuss and present. You're going to have to have a shared story with the people that may think differently than you. Find some commonality. When they're vulnerable, Tell them your story. And if you don't have a good story to tell, really start fervishly chasing God. Because his story is so profound and it needs to be your story. And then eventually, you may see how that love and grace becomes their story. Paul went on a second missionary journey and a third missionary journey. And that small early church in Jerusalem is now 2,000 plus years all the churches we know across the world. The pandemic was hard, but trust me, God's word does not fall on deaf ears. And there will always be a messenger to share it with others. Let's pray. I'd like to invite everybody into a, maybe a deeper, more committed time of prayer. I want you to think of that person at work that family member. Even maybe if you were honest, the person you hate right now. Come to terms with how 
maybe with some sin, you have dehumanized them. You have made your position to protect yourself seem righteous. Maybe it's the person on the TV screen that you just can't help but want to yell at the screen to prove that you're right and they're so wrong and they're horrible people and the world we live in is so separated, divided. I wonder how is it going to get fixed? It's going to get fixed like this, church. Think of that person. And I want you to just go ahead and, and like reach out your hand towards them. Just metaphorically, just spiritually, you reach it out. You don't know where they are. Maybe they're still sleeping. Maybe they're working on a yard. Maybe they're right in front of you. Maybe they're in church. Maybe it's a family member. Just reach it out. And I want you to imagine that person in that marketplace. Where do you run into them? Where do you see them? Are they at the family dinner table? Are they no longer at the family dinner table because you haven't shared the family holidays in years? Are they at the place of work? Are they somebody you work with? Is it a teenage son or daughter? <laughs> and you just find yourself such disagree. I want you to reach out and say, just say this prayer. Lord, help me help them. Lord, help me help them. Lord, help me help them. And you can follow us real simple. Lord, help me share the story with them. Help me find common ground. Help me find things that we can enjoy together, that we can laugh about, we can talk about. That other stuff, that messy stuff, that doesn't have to be the first thing we talk about. I think I'm righteous, but I'm being self-righteous. I think I'm doing right by you, and yet that is a child of God, the same as me. So somebody you want to see redeemed, you want to see saved, you want to see restored. So you say that prayer, Lord, help me go into that shared space. I want to stop walking by that door because that other person's in that room. I want to stop walking by them, but walk in. I'm going to have the confidence of faith to talk to them. Lord, after a time, you're going to give me the opportunity to share my story. Say, share my story, share my story. Lord, share my story. It's not just a message that is for somebody else to share. I am the messenger, and I will share it with whoever you ask me to share it with. I'm going to have to be vulnerable, Lord. I'm going to have to tell them about when I was a sinner, when I struggled, when I made mistakes. I'm going to have to tell them about when I was angry and overcome with grief and anger and frustration. I've been hostile, even my own house. I'm an un imperfect person. But Lord, let me share your redemption. Let me share how you have come into my life. That you have never failed me yet. You have never failed me yet. You have never failed me yet. And here it is, church. Pray for that person. Have that conversation. Pray for that person and say, Jesus, help them hear your story and make it their own. Church, the world will change when more Christians enter the shared marketplace. They enter that shared mixed company. They share their story and they invite others to hear the story of Jesus and make it their own and the world will be changed forever. The Mago Day will become the redeemed that will become this eternal kingdom of priests just might be your story and inspires that of somebody else. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people just like you.